We recently held the 98th convention of the Episcopal Diocese of Upper South Carolina, and in his annual address, Bishop Waldo shared with us about how we, as the people of God, bring light to the darkness, hope to the hopeless, and healing to the broken. Hope you enjoy this edition of Make, Equip, and Send, the stories that shape EDUSC. After deciding to resign my office and retire at the end of 2021, I have continued to reflect on the richness of the past 10 years. I've contemplated as well about what we can accomplish in our remaining time together. Though we are all limited in so many ways by the coronavirus pandemic, the gospel called to persevere and loving God and serving one another remains in its fullness, especially in this time of social division. When I began serving as your bishop in May of 2010, the larger church, including this diocese, was in the midst of another, of another turmoil over questions about same-sex blessings. It had been clear to me throughout the nomination and election process that even if the theological conflicts created a sense of fragility across the diocese, you were more interested in staying together as a people than in breaking apart. And I've continued to have that, sense, that desire for common purpose or to sense that desire for common purpose across the diocese ever since. At our first convention together, which also took place here at Trinity Cathedral, I framed the work of listening, struggling, and moving forward that was ahead of us. This was not, of course, just about the work ahead of us in relation to one issue, but about forging relationships and moving together as brothers and sisters in Christ in all the joys and challenges of sharing a journey at an unsettled time. Over the subsequent years, we worked hard on those relationships and on finding ways to live together not in the sense of forging a mere truce around issues of conflict, but in the more constructive sense of serving Christ together, serving together in love, substance, and mission. We've succeeded in many ways, moving together in Christ while remaining aware and respectful of our diversity. Today, we find ourselves in an even more unsettled time, nationally and globally, when the stakes seem even higher. It's a time when some relationships are even more difficult to, nego to negotiate. Political movements and tensions are at the forefront. 
And yet the need for us to persevere is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, to love one another as Christ loved us. As this fall's general election grinds towards its conclusions, tensions among us are still sharp as we struggle against what we consider to be immovable forces on the part of those who we see as somehow other than we are. God is love, the first letter of John reminds us, and in baptism, God's spirit abides in us. John is so bold as to say even that even if we love one another, God's love, to say even that if we love one another, God's love has been perfected among us in this. In the presence of all the unloving things that people may have uttered during this election season, even among brothers and sisters in Christ, that sense of being perfected seems elusive. Many find themselves in what can only be described as a dark place and maybe even a stuck place. This chapter in John's letter is honest about how the darkness of sin destroys the perfection of our fellowship with God and our fellowship with each other. It also offers us a way out, the way of love. I told a story at that first diocesan convention in 2010, and in a couple of congregations since then, about a deeply formative experience in my life that is never too far from my mind. It has been hovering in my consciousness for several months now. And recently, I've contemplated that experience often as divisions among many have intensified, even while others have worked at the same time toward healing and reconciliation. Retelling and reinterpreting that story seems an appropriate other, other side of the frame of this journey we've shared as bishop and people. In the late 1960s, I was a boarding student at Indian Spring School near Birmingham, Alabama. And in those days, the school was very much in the rural countryside. It was still an all-boys school on 700 acres adjacent to Oak Mountain State Park. On weekends, there was so much exploring to do around all those creeks, hills, and woods that most often... I stayed on campus rather than catch the bus home to Montgomery. Opportunities for adventure and mostly innocent mischief were manifold. In the fall of my junior year, a classmate and I got word over in the state park that word that over in the state park there was a cave very few people knew about. And the alumnus who told us about it told us where we could find it. So one Saturday morning, my friend and I set out fully equipped with 150 feet of good climbing rope and a flashlight to find it. 
Once inside the state park boundaries, we found the cave within about an hour, its entrance nearly covered over by seasons of fallen leaves. My friend claimed he had much experience in these matters and suggested it would be good for me to go in first. Now, for some reason, I wasn't sure I trusted him, but I tied the rope around my waist anyway and shimmied in through the narrow entrance on my back. His job was to hold on to the other end of the rope and to pull me back if I tugged the rope or yelled that I wanted to come back up. So having no idea of what really lay ahead, I slid down a slope of loose rocks into the cave with my thread of a rope, someone at the other end of it, and a flashlight. It's possible I should have tested my preparations more thoroughly. The pebbly slope ended near the ceiling of a large and very dark space, so I turned on the flashlight. That was when I discovered the batteries were not exactly fully charged. Well, I can't get more than 150 feet away, I thought, and the rope can guide me back if necessary. So off I went, climbing down a steep drop-off into the darkness below. Soon I discovered a small tunnel at the back of the open area and got on my hands and knees to crawl deeper into the cave, led by the yellow, gradually dimming flashlight. The tunnel was narrow, only about 18 inches wide and maybe 30 inches high. But I was a little guy in those days and figured I could go in at least a bit further. What I didn't know was I'd gone in so far that I couldn't hear my friend shouting that he was running out of rope. Nor could I feel him, his tugging back on the rope with all the bumping and scraping I was doing against the sides of the tunnel. Soon and without knowing it, I had forced him to let go of the rope. This moment would become an important metaphor for me in life, a metaphor about staying in touch and being wary about getting headstrong or going it alone. What followed became a metaphor for what happens when I forget the other metaphor. And just for the heck of it, I turned off the light to see how dark it was in there. And for that moment, I found myself in utter, complete blackness. My hand, held inches from my nose, was invisible to me. No sound, no movement of air. It was like the stillness of the grave, and I shuddered, quickly turning the light back on. Maybe it's time to back out of here, I thought. But just ahead of me was a tunnel, a corner around which I could not see. I thought, maybe it opens into a magnificent room filled with crystals and stalagmites and stalactites. I'd love to see that. 
Never mind the maternal voice in the back of my mind muttering, Andy, I just can't think of enough things to tell you not to do. The corner was a little tighter than it had looked, maybe 10 to 12 inches wide instead of 18 to 20. But I pushed ahead and I got around it just enough to see that the tunnel didn't open up but went on. I wasn't interested in going deeper and decided to go back. My flashlight was getting dimmer by the minute and I really had seen enough for now. The problem was when I tried to back up, I couldn't. I soon discovered that I was quite stuck and my yells for help fell dead on the nothingness ahead. Turning off the flashlight to conserve energy, I struggled in the complete total absence of light to back out of my predicament. Had I only known the words of the psalmist, darkness is not dark to you, the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light to you are both alike. But I did not know those words. And at that point in my life, I would not have understood or appreciated them. The theologian Marcus Borg, borrowing a metaphor from Søren Kierkegaard has written that faith as trust is like floating in a deep ocean. If you struggle, if you tense up and thrash about, you will eventually sink. But if you relax and trust, you will float. For some 45 minutes, I struggled wildly in the silent blackness of that cave, terror scraping at my heart, even as hard rock scraped at my sides. And then finally, I just collapsed and cried, sobbing, desperate tears. Only then, in the limpness of exhaustion, did I feel myself begin to slip out the sedimentary noose around my waist. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, St. Paul wrote to the Philippians, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself. Like having my heart transformed by love when I let go of my own stubbornness in relationships and give myself to God, my freedom in the cave came only when I emptied myself and stopped wrestling with rocks. Henry Nowen has written that the spiritual life does not remove us from the world, but leads us deeper into it. And the sense of which Nowen speaks about Christian life, we have all ventured into a cave, offering our lives to one another on sacred, often difficult, and sometimes painful journeys into the depths of the world. We also discover and share great joys on our travels together. In and of itself, getting stuck in a cave is terrifying and claustrophobic, a moment of profound reckoning. 
But I'm not done with the story yet, and like Henry Nouwen's comment on the spiritual life, going deep bears the possibility of danger and a hope for reward. In a chapter of 1 John prior to today's reading, the letter references the opening verses of John the Evangelist's gospel account, wherein he establishes the fundamental character of the one in whom our fellowship with God is perfected, God's only begotten, our Christ and our Redeemer, who is the light of all people, the light that shines in the darkness and which darkness did not overcome. That section of the first letter of John proclaims that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him, we are walking in darkness. We lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. To walk in the light and fellowship of Christ is to turn darkness into day. Stuck in that cave, my longing for light was not metaphorical. It was concrete and literal. It's important to know that the fellow student I went with the cave was not actually a close friend. In fact, he was a person I usually tried to avoid. We went to the cave together because we both happened to be around on the weekend, had nothing to do, and someone had offered us an interesting project. I would end up being glad he was there that day. As I crawled my way out of the cave, I didn't have to get all the way to the entrance to see him. When I had gone in too deeply in, he had held on to the rope for as long as he could, and I had dragged him down into the cave over loose rocks and dirt. He only let go when he reached the steep drop-off beyond which he could not see. So the first thing the light of day showed me as it gently entered from the small entrance above us was his silhouette. And there was no one I wanted more to see at that moment. Had I remained stuck in the darkness, only he could have brought help. I had been lost, but now was found. And with his help, his reaching into the darkness below the drop-off to my outstretched hand, we scrambled our way together up to the entrance, steeped in daylight that grew brighter and brighter the closer we moved towards it. The times in which we now live have often felt dark. Countless people across the diocese have commented to me on their sense of being stuck in, in figuring out how to stay in relationship with some of the people in their lives, sometimes including family members and old friends. And yet, throughout this diocese, in congregations across the diocese, you have persisted in working side by side in community 
serving others beyond your walls, staying connected to one another and continuing your worship of God with remarkable creativity, ingenuity, and joy. We simply ache to all be back together again in person. Life in Christ is almost by definition an adventure, for God is constantly beckoning us to take God's mission into places that are broken and which need the word of hope and healing that Christians can uniquely bring. There is always a risk of getting stuck or hurt or disillusioned in community. But when we stop wrestling with rocks, that is when we let go of assumptions, especially uncharitable assumptions, when we listen to, st to the stories and experience of others who may hold very different perspectives and understandings, there is suddenly room for movement, for light in the darkness, and for an opportunity to offer the hope that is in us. My cave story doesn't end with our exiting the cave into the bright light of a crisp autumn Alabama day. Just a few minute, months later, I went back, this time with a different friend, a friend with whom I had argued and contended many times, and yet with whom I had a relationship formed in mutual acceptance and brotherly love. And we took two flashlights with fresh batteries. In spite of the fear I had felt when I was stuck, I never stopped wanting to know what was in fact around the corner and out of sight. With this friend, we went all the way to the back where we did find a room, not a magnificent cavern, but a little jewel of a room where with glistening water running down the walls from a shelf above our heads. There were signs of others who had come, been there before us. And we laughed and tussled, our clothes getting caked with the damp clay on the cave floor. It was a moment of delight and discovery, of risk rewarded with joy. And covered with that slippery clay, I squirted through the spot that had so tightly held and frightened me before. When we get stuck in relationships, we can easily forget that people whose politics we hate or whose habits annoy us are also beloved children of God, just like we want to be and are. We forget that reaching across dividing walls of hostility, as the Apostle Paul calls them, is an expression of the seeing that happens when we let go of wrestling. It's when we can really see someone, even a stranger, and say, 
I know you. I know you because you're made in the image of God. And so am I. Seeing someone like that through God's eyes is like finding that room deep in a cave filled with crystals and fantastical shapes, or like finding a pearl of great price. It's like basking in that gift of joy and wonder in all God's works, so graciously bestowed upon us by the Holy Spirit in baptism. It is to look at the person you thought was an enemy and to see in them the image and likeness of God instead. To walk in the light of the risen Christ is to revel in that gift. And in that light alone, we begin to catch glimpses of perfect freedom. I have served in four dioceses through the course of my vocation as an, or, as an ordained person and grew up with my father as a priest in three other dioceses. Here, I have experienced mutually supportive relationships among clergy that, for me, have been a shared journey deeper into the world. I felt personally supported, but even more, I felt a sense of enormous privilege to serve alongside so much competence, compassion, and vision. Characteristics shared by members of congregations across this diocese. The stories they bring to our gatherings, our clergy gatherings online, about the commitment and care within the communities they serve bring life to me every day as I pray for each and every one of you. As I near the end of my tenure, I feel a deep sense of joy about you and about each and every congregation of this diocese. I love you. You are truly the body of Christ in this place. And you are the ones whose love of God this next year, when we share a journey together and the, and the time beyond, you are the ones whose love of God, who are a voice of healing and reconciliation in these troubled times. Because that's what happens when we go deep, let go, and let God show us the way back home. Amen.
Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you. 